Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. Great show in store for you today. I would say this show hovers around one of the most uh, popular questions that I get from social media and from a direct message around, hey, can you do a show on this? Can you highlight some materials or how do I do this thing? Fill in the blank, Chase, that I'm about to talk about. And that is, it's around pricing creative work. Now, I like to think that this topic is not just for designers and photographers. It's also for writers. It's also for consultants. It's, if you have a small business and you are either unsure if you're maximizing the amount of money that you could be making, or if you're not sure if the way you're approaching it or thinking about it is the right way, then this episode is for you. So many of us grew up trading our time for money at, you know, 10 bucks an hour at this job or that. Uh, we also grew up hearing myths about the quote, starving artist and how, you know, ways of making art or weight making a living or a life or both with your creativity was, um, was a nice to have and okay. If you could make it happen, but it's changed right now. We know that the most creative and successful and fulfilled people have creativity as their core and they understand the relationship between business and creativity. This idea of getting a real job is, is basically moot. Real jobs now involve individuals transforming industries, building small teams around big, powerful, thoughtful, heartfelt, earnest ideas. Um, there's also a, a paradigm around a negative money mindset that for some reason asking for what you deserve or what you want is somehow greedy or selfish or less than admirable. And I want to, before we get into this episode and before I introduce um, the program today, I want to remind you that that is an outdated and incomplete view, uh, just even just wrong view of the, the lens that you ought to put on money on uh, valuing your work. Uh, of course, imposter syndrome is another thing that often comes up. And imposter syndrome, if you're not familiar with it, that is the idea that in your own mind, you somehow have talked yourself into, you've got a talk track that you're not worthy, that you are lucky to be here, uh, and that that weird introduction from a friend through a thing uh, somehow a less valid way of being in the position you're in right now. And I want to put each of these sort of bullet points that I just shared to rest in today's episode. Uh, and so it brings me great pleasure to introduce Elise Benin, who uh, is, she has an incredible class on creative life. I first uh, was aware of her work when we were researching uh, instructors to talk about this particular topic. Uh, and she's built a career advising the independently employed, the freelancers, the entrepreneurs, small business owners. She's authored, I think, seven guidebooks. Seven, I think that's right. Seven guidebooks for creative entrepreneurs. And she runs a very popular online freelance resource called The Marketing Mentor. Uh, and this episode is just a few of my favorite lessons from Elise around undertaking, understanding, and valuing what you're worth, the science of pricing, the art of pricing, a handful of pricing strategies that you can use today. Again, this is where so many creators, entrepreneurs fall down and struggle is around pricing their work. Now, this 
is not going to, it's not going to be complete. It's not going to tell you everything that you know, but it's a very powerful way of scratching at the surface. And of course, if this resonates with you, I really recommend checking out her class on creative live again, Elise Benham. Um, her class is, uh, I, I, I highly value it and I recommend it on the regular in my DMs and on social channels. So there's a link in the show notes if you want to check it out uh, further. But for now, I'm going to get out of the way and and again, introduce Elise Benin in this fantastic uh, bit on pricing for creators, entrepreneurs. All right, take it away. Hey, this episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is powered by Creative Live. Now, if you've been in my orbit long enough, you know that for the last decade, my own creativity has been largely focused on building creative life. Sure, I've done all kinds of side projects. I've had books and shoes, and I shoot occasionally a campaign, direct a commercial, but Creative Live has been my focus. They are also the underwriter for this show. And that's the reason you don't hear me interrupt the conversation with advertisements every 15 minutes, but it goes way beyond that. You know that I believe so deeply in the power of creativity to affect change, to get us unstuck and to unlock the things, the beliefs, the dreams that we have for this one precious life. And the best way to do that, bar none, is through subscribing to Creative Live. That unlocks more than 2,000 classes. Each of those classes used to cost between 100 and 150 bucks, and now you can unlock all of them. That's tens of thousands of hours from the world's top creators for one low price, all under 149 bucks. So where should you go to get this offer? Go to creativelive.com slash creator pass. All one word, creativelive.com slash creator pass. We're adding new classes every week and we're always streaming free content if you're new to the platform and you want to check it out. If you happen to be one of the listeners that already has a subscription, Thank you so much, and let me know what you learned most recently. I always love hearing your stories, and I'm always happy to amplify and give you a high five on social. Now, if you do not have a subscription, this is the time to go check it out and sign up. What are you worth? So... There's the wrong way to think about what you're worth, and there's the right way to think about what you're worth. And the wrong way is the way most people think about it, which is, here are some quotations, real live quotations from people who say to me, my clients refuse to pay what I'm worth, right? And that could be because you've asked them to pay what, they're, what you're worth and they say no or because they have no idea what you're worth. But I think this mentality of my clients refuse to pay what I'm worth is the wrong way to think about it. And I will tell you what the right way is. Another variation on it is why can't I get my clients to pay what I'm worth? And this is connected to getting word of mouth or taking what comes along. Because again, if you don't go looking for the people who are in a position to pay what you think you're worth, then the people who find you, you can't change what their ability to pay is. And I hear that in these quotations that you're trying to basically ask people to do something they're usually not in a position to do, right? And so that needs to be understood. These are pricing problems with marketing solutions. Right? These are not pricing problems. There are marketing solutions which have to do with going out and finding the people who can pay. 
And this is wrong because your value as a person has nothing to do with the value of your services. And this is especially challenging, I think, for creative professionals because you're doing something that you love and you really enjoy it and it's very personal to you for the most part, which is fine, but when it comes to the business side, when it comes to the pricing side, I encourage you as much as possible, and this takes time, to separate yourself from your work, to be as objective as you can about what you're doing and not care, if possible, not care what anyone thinks of it. You do your best job and that's all there is to it, but that's not your value as a person. Hopefully your value as a person comes from much more intrinsic and essential things, not the value of the work that you produce. All right, so try to separate those two things if you possibly can. And again, it doesn't come immediately, it takes time. Also, your pricing has nothing to do with your value. It has nothing to do with the value of the work that you do even. Your pricing has to do with the value that your clients get from the work. Right? Zane was telling us about value-based pricing, which I will ask him to reprieve a little bit later when we talk about it again. But the idea is that the value of your work is not about the work itself. It's not about the time it takes you. It's not about your years of experience even, which is not to say that those things aren't important. But what's really most important when you're pricing is what is the value to your clients and what are they willing to pay? That's the thing to focus on. It's a mind shift. Again, it takes time. I don't expect you to get it right this second. That's why we want you to have any time access to this so you can listen over and over and over. Repetition is kind of an amazing thing sometimes. So, as I said before, all of this is not a pricing problem. It's a marketing problem or a pricing problem with a marketing solution. So what is the right way to think about it? So I propose that you can say to yourself, where can I find the prospects who can afford my services and pay what I need to earn? Not what I'm worth, not what I want to earn, what I need to earn. And another variation on that, and once I've found them, how do I find out what they value and sell it to them for a fee that is fair to all? Right? We're not trying to gouge anyone. We're not trying to get as much as we possibly can. We're trying to figure out what is fair, what is fair to them, and what is fair to you. And that usually requires a conversation and a negotiation. And that is something that a lot of people seem to fear is the conversation about money. We talked about that in session two also. So again, where can I find the prospects who can afford my services and pay what I need to earn? And then once I've found them, how do I find out what they value and sell it to them for a fee that's fair to all? All right, so that is the end of this lesson. So we're going to go to the exercise. And what the exercise is, is this question, it's another one of these, what would you do if a prospect only has half the fee you think a project is worth? What would you do? Let's put that question in the chat room and talk first to our friends on the couch. The question is, what if a prospect only has half the fee you think a project is worth? What would you do? Reina? I can think of a few things. Um, one way would be to uh, maybe offer 
a, a partly payment in the beginning mm -hmm. and then a delayed payment later if that is an option. Mm -hmm. um, another one would be to scale back what my involvement in the project is or find ways to make that basically reduce the value mm -hmm. so that it matches more closely with what they can afford. Absolutely. I love those ideas. What else? Because again, there's no right answer for any of this, right? We have to be creative and come up with something that is fair to everyone and makes sense according to what you have on your plate at any given moment and what goals you're trying to achieve. Justin? Um, I guess I riff off of that, that um, if, so, if I'm working on an ed something, helping somebody create educational content mm -hmm. um, and if they're selling it, somehow take a percentage of their sales. Absolutely. Why not? A royalty. Yeah. Or if it just happens to be a project that's, um, I don't know, a simple project, just mm -hmm. part down. Like, mm -hmm. say, like, let's do one camera operator and no audio guy. I'll mm -hmm. do the audio. Like, figure out a solution to... Mm -hmm. But only if it's worth working with the, working with the client, if it's exactly. a client that I want to work with. Exactly. So. Zane, you want to add anything? Yeah, so a bit of a combination of both of those. I'd probably add in maybe a retainer, like a monthly fees, which is more affordable to mm -hmm. them, so that next month, once they have the money, they can... So spread it, it out. Spread, spread out, it out the payments. Spread it out, exactly. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Do we have other answers in the chat room? We do, and people are recognizing both what Zane and uh, Justin said there, because um, Kristen says, well, I would try and change the scope, but if they can't, then I, then I would say no to the project. Uh, Abby Lynn says, yes, she would allow a payment plan. Uh, Wendy would say, I'd offer half the services that they want mm -hmm. um, if they're willing to pay the price. And Alti Sandra says, well, if negotiate the work you can do for the fee that they have, which I guess is the same thing as changing the scope. Uh, but yeah, it seems to be the payment plan seems to be the most popular that people would try. I have a couple yeah. other ideas, actually, also. You could offer to advise on the project and maybe bring in someone who can do the actual production of whatever it is at a lower fee and you supervise even perhaps that, do you have to do all the work that needs to be done at your rate? Or can you grow your team so that maybe that is an offering you make to other people also who may not be able to afford it? Now I want to share something that uh, Jeffrey's mentioned because th this has come up a number of times and I know Elise you have very strong opinions on this but um, and I think this is mainly what this course is about because he's saying well in the real world they will simply find somebody else because it's a buyer's market. So we're getting back to that fear thing that if you do ask what you'll, you want you, they're going to walk away so you compromise. So that is always an option but I think it is important to at least start asking for what you want and um, uh, again, I would make the point that your marketing is the way you separate yourself out from everyone else because even if it is a buyer's market, you have to emphasize the quality that you bring to the table and that essentially you get what you pay for. So if they find someone else, then you will always be available in case that doesn't work out. Reina? And I have a great example for that. It just happened to me. I had um, a client ask for multiple proposals from different people. I gave mine. He ended up going with somebody else, and I asked why, and mm -hmm. he said it was a pricing issue. Um, a year later, he came back to me and now works with me and is so happy. Mm -hmm. And I am really glad I did that, and I didn't change my pricing because now I feel like he really sees the value and appreciates it. Absolutely. But weren't you afraid in that moment to say, I'm sorry, this is what it costs? No, not really. Good. <laughs> 
Good. And again, you know, I was talking in session two a little bit about this core, this strength that you have to develop, and the pipeline, the marketing pipeline that supports it so that you know that you don't need that one or that one. You have plenty to choose from. That is really the key to the, the, the trust that you have in yourself, that no matter what, even if you lose this one, if you lose that one, you can figure it out. How to price your services. This is the science of pricing. And it's actually uh, simple, so don't be afraid by this word science. But I want to start with this question. Do you pull numbers out of the air when asked to price something? Or is there a science to your pricing? And this is a rhetorical question, so I don't expect answers. Because most of the people I talk to, if they haven't thought through much pricing, they are essentially pulling numbers out of the air, plus imagining what the client or prospect can afford without asking the questions. That's the problem. If you imagine, oh no, they're not going to be able to afford that. Oh no, that's too much. But you don't know for sure, then you are definitely not commanding the fees you deserve, and you're going to underprice yourself. All right. So if you are one of these people pulling prices out, out of the air, don't raise your hand. Just know for yourself that there is another way. There is a better way. And that is the science of pricing. So what is the data you need for this science? All right, so we've already talked a little bit about this. You need to know what your financial goals are. For Justin, he said, I want to make $150,000 in a year. That's a financial goal. You need to know also what your expenses are, right? So there's the actual data. Then you need to figure out what your hourly rate is. Now, I'm going to talk at length about hourly pricing soon. But let me just say here that knowing your hourly rate is not the same as charging by the hour. You do need to know how much your time is worth so that you can use that as a basis for your pricing. And in the extra goodies bundle, which I will talk about at the end of this segment and give the link for, but some people already have it. And in fact, on the Facebook page, I saw someone yesterday talking about how they had filled out the worksheet, which is the hourly pricing worksheet, and figured out that they're undercharging. Right? You may not know whether or not you're undercharging. The worksheet in there will help you figure it out and come up with what the hourly rate is that you should be charging based on your expenses. All right, That's really important number to know. And again, back to the data, what is the actual time it takes you per project to do what needs to be done? And this may be different from one project to the next, but the goal is to track this information over time so that you can get averages and estimates so that off the top of your head, you can say, that's usually a 100 to 150 hour project, right? At your hourly rate, you can come up on the fly in your head with a number or a range so that you can have the conversation that we talked about in session two, where you gauge the budget of a client by throwing numbers on the table. All right, so the data is your financial goals and expenses, your hourly rate, the amount of time it actually takes to do a project, which equals your pricing floor, the minimum you must charge. This is not your price. This is the minimum you must charge. I have a question here that's coming from Kelly, and five different people have voted on this. I think it's quite popular. How do you handle trying to quote your hourly rate of time for projects when you're not sure really how many hours a project will take so you can arrive at this equation? So um, 
in or, th this is based on history, usually. So you may be guessing at the beginning. And if you are guessing, I would overestimate. Mm. Most people tend to underestimate, right? They're, wishful, they're wishfully uh, pricing their services. In fact, I often suggest, if you're really not sure, come up with a price and then double it. Because that way, you will be sure that you're not underpricing. Right? So that's, again, to come up with a price to start the conversation. All right, now I have an example because sometimes this isn't quite clear. And this is a very generic example. So if your goal is $5,000 a month and $2,500 of that is your expenses, so $2,500 is going to be your profit, uh, and it takes you 25 hours to design a website, and your hourly rate is $50 an hour, then you must charge at minimum $5,000. And two websites a month will get you the $5,000. Does that make sense? All right. So now I want to give you some tools to help track the data. Because my, one of my favorite time tracking tools is functionfox.com. And uh, you can find them at functionbox.com. There's their homepage. And I also wanted to share with you um, freshbooks.com, which is an invoicing uh, software, also free. And this is related to what we call the standard pricing memo, which is essentially the way you keep track of what uh, projects cost and what you charge over time so that you can come up with this on average, a website costs this much to do, right? So that kind of responds to the question. You track it over time. You have a standard pricing memo. And that way, over time, you can say, this is what our average price is for an X. Justin? Question about, the, um, about FreshBooks. Yes? Um, does that require like clients to opt in to that system to, to pay? I don't think so. Okay. No, I think you, you can send invoices through them, and then they can just go to the website and pay without being a FreshBooks member or anything like that. Okay. Absolutely. It's very popular and um, very easy. Yeah, I've used it in the past. Yes. I actually started, when I, when I started the business, I used FreshBooks. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool, really simple to use. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So the tools, just want to go over them. Time tracking, standard pricing memo, and an estimating worksheet. So this is, it will be different for each person based on the kind of work that you're doing. But you should have some kind of intake form that you use that has all the different things involved in producing the projects that you produce so that you can make sure that you're covering all of your expenses, all of your billing, everything that you need, all in one worksheet. And that just puts a system in place to make it easier. That's internal, right? That's just for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. internal. Nobody else sees that. That's for you. These are your tools for pricing. We're going to get to the proposal later. That's the external piece. All right. So that is the science of pricing. And of course, in the workbook that we haven't yet talked about, uh, we have a short article on each of these tools. And so the exercise also is in the workbook. And my question is, which of the data and tools mentioned do you have in place? And which do you need to put in place? And that's something we can talk about here in the room. And
and let's see what the people in the chat room will say about what they have in place and what they need to put in place. Justin, what tools do you have in place, if any? If you don't have any, that's okay. Sure. Um, I have a, um, well, this I, I don't have it now, but I need to update it. Um, when I was a freelancer before, I always had just kind of a list of what um, what I charge for all my services. Mm -hmm. um, and what so they like a price list? A price list. Uh -huh. um, and kind of what, I, I had two columns basically, like what it costed me and what I was going to charge mm -hmm. my client. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of could see the wiggle room mm -hmm. if I wanted to, you know, somehow reduced costs. Um, so I had that in place. Um, and I'd update that every year, um, just kind of obviously up the rates every year. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, that, that's, the, that's the main thing I use. And do you track your time? Um, you know, I don't track, I, I've never tracked my time. I, I, often, I charge per day. Mm -hmm. um, it was always a day rate. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I guess it's kind of around the value pricing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wasn't doing an hourly rate. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess like the, the goal was just great content at the end rather than how many hours I was spending on that. Um, but I don't. I actually don't know how many hours at the end it of the day. It would be very helpful to you to yeah. know how much time it actually takes to put together a project. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was putting together the material for this course, I have tracked my time because I want to know exactly how much time. I, I was watching Michelle Ward, who did a course a couple of months ago, and mm -hmm. she, as she was promoting, was, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours on this course. I was like, I don't know that I have hundreds and hundreds of hours, so I better track my time to see how much time it will actually take me. I haven't added it up yet, but it's definitely not hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> but that's important, right? Because your time is of value, and you need to know what the value is that you just put into something. Yeah. And especially I would think for you with the prep, you know, there's some there's a difference between all right, now we're shooting, now we're doing the work with the client, mm -hmm. but there's all this prep time and project management and administrative time that most people aren't tracking even if they are tracking their time. And I think that I don't know why, it seems like people don't count it as real work, mm. or maybe because the client doesn't see it, or the client isn't aware of it, it shouldn't be counted as real work. But again, this is your business, right? You decide what is work and what is not work, and you really do need to be charging for everything that you're doing per project and per client. Even the marketing time you spend can be built into your pricing. That's interesting. I, um, I was just going to ask you if you think that the administrative work that goes towards a project should be billed or counted towards that project. Absolutely. I always just count that as my own office time, so to speak. It depends it, on yeah. what the specifics are, but I would say in general, if it's project related, mm. it's part of the project. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just I had that problem. Like, I actually charge less during my pre-production days mm -hmm. than I do because somehow I think the client's not seeing that I'm actually doing lots of work to pre prepare for this. For this, isn't that shoot. one of those parental things we were talking about the yeah. other day? Right? Mommy's not watching, so. <laughs> But the reality is, this is your business, it's your work, you decide what's worth what. Maybe the administration and the prep is actually more important Critical. than the shoot. Yeah. In fact, I think that's a really important point because I think that people don't realize that everything you do, especially designers, to build up to creating the logo, like all of that is the most important part in the process. And so it should be valued higher. The discovery, perhaps, should be valued higher. Mm. 
Zane, you want to add anything? Yeah, sure. I use a number of tools um, for for time tracking specifically. I use a tool called Rescue Time mm -hmm. that allows me to uh, it automatically tracks the time, so I don't have to like log in every time and hit the start button. So it um, it gives like at the end of the week, it gives a nice graph of what it, what software is I'm spending the most time in, so I can just take that data and. Uh, look at look at it when I when I have to. Actually, there's another tool that I know of called CreativeWorks.com, CreativeWorks W O R X.com, which does something similar. It's built into all the Adobe software, and so you don't have to turn it on and off. It just knows when you're working on which project. How? I don't know. <laughs> it just sounds, yeah, it just looks at your but look into it. Yeah, it, it's technology is kind of an amazing yeah. thing. Yeah, but how do they know what client it's for? You tell it what client okay. it's for, but yeah. it tracks what you're doing in what software. Mm. Okay. Any other tools you want to share? Yes, I use uh, Quote Roller, like I mentioned, uh -huh, for, for proposals. Proposals, and then I also use a tool called Wave Accounting for uh, invoicing and uh, bookkeeping. Actually, mm -hmm. so you just link up your bank account, and it automatically categorizes all your different areas, uh, and I just send that over to my accountant and they just file the taxes. Excellent. And You're on the technology, Zane. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. This is an area where I think our, our online audience are clearly very strong because they're, they're sharing all the tips and tricks that they already use. Uh, they are all using, a lot of, a majority are using time tracking um, Good. already and they're sharing what they're using. They also seem very strong in accounting, so they're, they're sharing all of the accounting software that they use. So Beautiful. This, this is something where I think you've, you've, you've identified they're actually already doing quite well. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Now I want to talk about how exactly to price your services, and I have four pricing strategies that I want to go over. These are not the only pricing strategies there are, but these are the most prevalent when it comes to uh, creative professionals. But first, let me start with this idea. Do you practice desperation pricing or profitable pricing? Right? Desperation pricing is basically pricing to get the job no matter what because you're desperate, and it's usually not that profitable versus profitable pricing where you have the tools in place, you know exactly how much you need to make, you know exactly what your profit margin is, you know exactly what the cushion is, as Justin was talking about. It's important to have the information in place and a system in place so that you can do this quickly. Because if you can't do it quickly, then you're probably going to put it off or you're going to do it in a way that doesn't serve you well. All right, Or maybe even in a way that isn't logical. right? Because for some reason, Creative people seem to get kind of fuzzy when it comes to money and pricing. And so having these systems in place will prevent that from happening or maybe lessen it a little bit. OK, so four pricing strategies. The first one is the most common one, time-based. So pricing by the hour or pricing by the day or sometimes pricing by the word, which could be uh, time and materials, right? But pricing, which is based on the concrete aspect of what you do. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is better than that. But what I do notice is that a lot of people just automatically price by the hour because it's the easiest. All you have to do is multiplication, right? And also because often that's what the client asks for. The client may say, what's your hourly rate? And this is one of those political situations, in my opinion, where you don't have to accept the premise of the question. You can say, I'm sorry, I don't charge by the hour. I charge this other way. And then you explain why. 
So there are situations where it is not at all to your advantage to price hourly. And one of the main situations is when you have a lot of experience and you work quickly and you do a really good job, but it only takes you two hours, should you only price two hours worth? No, right? So you have to come up with some other way of pricing that is fair, that isn't you just adding on hours because you think it should be priced higher. There's another strategy that you approach with that. All right, so that's time-based. Project-based is an alternative to that. And project-based is also very clear and very popular, uh, but it's a little bit trickier because you have to figure out what is involved in the project. There are many different factors. There is the amount of time. There is the administrative things you are doing. There is the value to the client. And you have to, and this comes with experience, figure out what is this project worth to me? And this is related to the example I used before where a website is worth $2,500, that's a project fee. And so what all is included in that to make sure that I'm covering all of my expenses plus my profit and that that is worth it to me, right? That's what you have to figure out for yourself. All right, the third pricing strategy is package-based pricing. And we talked a little bit about this in session two and session one, actually. And there are a couple different ways of approaching this. One is standard projects that are based on a package. So we used the example of website design, and Jill Anderson talked about her packages. She has four different packages. One is design, one is design and development, one is development only, and then there's the everything package, right? And this is possible and easier for people who are offering the same essential type of project or services to the same type of people. And again, I want to emphasize that that's why focusing is so important, because it allows you to package your prices. And when you can package your prices, you save so much time uh, in the conversation with the clients, because everything is clear. And all you need to do is say, well, you know, customize it sometimes for them. All right, maybe you don't need this and we'll take this away. It, even if the packages themselves can't be applied to everyone, it's a really beautiful starting point for a conversation. You have something already on the table. Now a variation on package-based pricing is retainer. So that's similar because they get a suite of services or a package of services that is um, paid for on an ongoing basis. So that could be a monthly retainer, it could be a quarterly retainer. And it's a little trickier, so I would not recommend doing this with people you've never worked with before because a lot of time there's some hand-holding and nagging and administrative time that you don't know how long it's going to take you to work with them. How many revisions do they go through? There are so many aspects that are unknown, so my recommendation is start with project pricing and then evolve it into retainer a retainer arrangement if there is a need and if that would serve people. And often your clients will not offer it to you because they may not know that that would be better for everyone. But you can say, well, it looks like you have a need for more services, so I propose that we go to a retainer and then you propose exactly how to do it. And again, a retainer is essentially, we're going to do all of this for this much money or we're gonna spend this much time for this much money on a regular basis and sometimes it's not exact, right? 
has to come out in the wash from one, one month to the next. But if you have a strong relationship with your client and you have open communication, you can always say, all right, you know what? That's not working. Let's try this. Or we're a little over this month. Here's what's going to happen. Or we're a little under this month. You can just talk about it with them. And, and that can work out well. And the main benefit of retainers is that you know how much money is coming in from one month to the next, and you're not in that feast or famine syndrome, which is really tricky for a lot of people. Blue Monkey makes a really good point. They say for their clients, they are. It makes they can impress on them that they are available immediately for urgent issues mm -hmm. if they are on a retainer. You can be on call, and mm -hmm. that's one of the benefits of having a retainer. And you know, it's funny because sometimes people say to me, "Well, I'm kind of on call anyway," and they don't know it. But that doesn't matter. You can say this is one of the benefits of paying on retainer. Justin, could you give a good example of a retainer, like a client that you're working with, that a successful retainer? Um, scenario? Sure. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, in fact, I showed them earlier RX Creative Lab. They offer retainers to associations who need uh, the same services every month or every quarter for their events. And they say, for it's going gonna, it's gonna to take us X number of hours. Again, it could be based on hours. Or it could be a scope of services and a payment plan. Sometimes the retainer is a payment plan for a scope of services. So for the next year, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And it's going to take a year. And we're going to charge you this much per month to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be appropriate for your business, but it's definitely worth thinking about. Mm. Anyone in the room use retainers? Do you, Reina? Yeah, I have a I have a really great client um, that I've been with for seven years that I'm on a retainer with, and it really it makes such a difference. To basically, we have an arrangement where they guarantee me 60 hours a month mm -hmm. uh, that they pay me for, but if I end up going over, I charge an hourly rate on top of that, and so I have my base is all covered every month. I know I'm getting this check, and I don't have the fluctuation, which is just so helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think my goal um, for this year or going forward is to get um, at least another couple of retainer clients like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's just a lot less. You can have less clients and more work with the ones that you do work mm -hmm. with. And, Are there know. challenges in that type of situation for you? It's worked out really well for me. Yeah. Yeah. And do you agree then that the open communication is really important and the strong relationship? Yes. Or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Zane, do you have any retainer arrangements? Yeah. Um, yeah. I find retainers to be really effective. I mean, they create predictability in your business, mm -hmm. and which is great. And uh, you're not, you know, it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah, I have a few as well. Yeah. Reina? I just thought of one thing that's sort of particular to that situation. Because I guarantee them so much of my time every month, I have an arrangement that if I'm out of town for three days or more, I have to supply um, somebody to take over for me. So mm -hmm. that that's a consideration, but mm -hmm. I think it's fair enough because they still pay me at the end of the month. So if I want to go out on vacation or something, I um, I train somebody and have them take over for me during that time and um, and pay them out of my pocket, mm -hmm. but then I get paid by them. So, so uh, I'm channeling one of the questions that are probably coming up in response to that, which is, aren't you afraid that the person you bring in to replace you is going to take the client away from you? No. Why not? Because they're friends of mine, and they're busy enough with their own work, mm -hmm. usually. Good. Hmm. All right. So we have a question here about um, retainer-based. Um, when you're actually using it, what is the frequency? Do you make it annual or monthly? Um, what, what is 
or do you have to adjust for the Well, cut? I would start with monthly, and I would even start with a trial period of two or three months, because again, it takes time to get into a groove and see what is going to work for each situation, right? So I think it's really important, and then eventually it could be annual, if it's strong and if it, it, it works well for everybody. Okay. All right, I just wanted to show you uh, a screenshot. This is from jilllindesign.com of her packages. And you can go on her website and see them a little bit more closely. But essentially, she has uh, four packages. And I love the way she has best value as a little icon on the one that is the best value. And the most popular is another one, right? So this is a way of really um, kind of directing people to see what you want them to see and perhaps buy what you want them to buy, right? Tell them it's the most popular. That's a little psychological, psychology of pricing trick because people like to follow what's popular and it works. So, and you can see that there are differences between the packages, and you can click on the details and see what exactly is involved in each one. So that's a perfect example. And just a little plug, if you don't mind, for the package pricing bundle, which includes this and an analysis of this and two other pack, um, designers with their packages. And that's in the marketing-mentor.com online store. Oh, look. That's what I have the cover of. Here's the package pricing bundle. I'm anticipating myself. All right. The fourth pricing strategy is value-based pricing. So we touched on this a little bit in session two. And this tends to be the most complex or the most challenging for people to, to understand and to do. And I want to uh, emphasize that it's not right for everyone. It's not right for every creative, and it's not right for every uh, client. But the idea here is that if you can ask and find out what the value is or the potential value is to your client of the thing that you're doing, no matter what it is, then your price could be based on that. So I'll give you an example, and then maybe, Zane, you can talk a little bit more also about how you do value-based pricing. But um, I was doing a, uh, a marketing project for a client, and I knew that she stood to earn $100,000 as a result of the marketing effort that we were doing together. And I proposed to her that my fee not be based on my time, but it be based on a percentage of what she was going to earn potentially from that. Right? So it could be 10%, it could be 1%. You negotiate that percentage. But the idea is, what are you trying to do with this? And let the fee be based on that. And we're not talking about a royalty here. We're not talking about a commission. We're saying, here's what the potential is, and I have a stake in it because I'm going to make it as good as it can be. So Zane, tell us a little bit about your value-based pricing. Be as specific as you can. Yes. So for value-based pricing, I use this typically for e-commerce projects. Mm -hmm. So usually I start off with the goals of what the client, how much the client is looking to generate in a monthly base, on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on that, I try to price the project, give them an estimate on, uh, based on the percentage of how, how much revenue that they're going to generate and uh, quote them on that. Uh, for me, like the realization of uh, value-based pricing came after reading an uh, ebook by the founder of FreshBooks, actually. Mm -hmm. He wrote a, a really cool ebook called uh, Breaking the Time Barrier. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which he talks about how he was able to use value-based pricing for his consulting business that he used to actually fund FreshBooks. Yep. So I highly recommend um, a lot of the audience to watch that and, or read that. <laughs> and uh, you know, he talks more about how he, how he came upon the realization as well. Yes, absolutely. That is a great book. His yeah. name is Mike McDermott. Yeah. He's the CEO of FreshBooks. And uh, he has a very clear approach to it based on his own experience. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Now, before we wrap up this lesson, we have one more uh, issue to address, as I promised, which is this question of which is better, hourly pricing versus project pricing? Because this is the debate a lot of people are in. I imagine there might be a debate in the chat room going on about this, too. Project pricing is clearer for everyone because if you quote hourly, people don't seem to realize that there's no context for it. If I say my hourly rate is $100 an hour or $50 an hour and someone else says their hourly rate is $250 an hour, it sounds like they're more expensive than me, but we haven't said how much time we're talking about. And so when people compare your hourly rate to another person's hourly rate, they assume it's going to take the same amount of time, and it may not. They're also not telling you how much time it's going to take. Usually that's not part of the quote. So my suggestion is that you do project pricing because that basically means here's how much it's going to cost you, and this is what you're going to pay. It allows everybody to budget. You get to budget, you know what's coming in, they get to budget, they know what they're going to spend. It is much cleaner for everyone. Also, as I mentioned before, one of the reasons to avoid hourly pricing is because the better you get, the quicker you get, the less you make. That is absolutely not right, right? It's the opposite of what should be happening. Unless you just keep raising your hourly rate, at a certain point someone's going to say, that's too expensive, even though you're not telling them it's only going to take me an hour, right? So there's just a lot of miscommunication, there's a lot of confusion around hourly pricing. It's, there are exceptions, I will give you the exceptions, because I'm trying to make a very strong point without being too absolute about it. There are exceptions. Sometimes there are clients who will only pay by the hour. The government is sometimes like that. Uh, corporations are sometimes like that. On a retainer, sometimes that is the only they will work with you on a retainer. And sometimes they want you to lower your hourly rate because they're guaranteeing you a certain amount of time, which can be negotiated. But again, I go back to the political situation where if someone just automatically says, what's your hourly rate, does not mean you have to charge them hourly just because that's the question they asked you. Right? You do not have to accept the premise of the question, and what you need to say is, I'm sorry, that's not how I charge. I don't quote my hourly rate. Here's how I charge. And that requires some strength, but it really works. It's not saying, I'm not going to charge you. It's just, here's how I work. Here's my policy. All right, before we get to the what would you do if, Let's see if there are any questions in the room or in the chat room about this, because I know it can be, I see, some, I see some people with questions burgeoning. I'm curious about like a mixed model where, mm -hmm. um, let's say I'm creating an educational product and there's just some costs, upfront costs that need to be covered. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen that before where yes. it's like value-based? Do you have any advice around that? Absolutely. Um, and it can be tricky. 
And as I said, I'm trying not to do black or white, but for example, I have one client, I was talking about uh, this with him yesterday morning before I came here. Actually, we were looking at a proposal and part of it is a website, it's for a website. So part of it is here's the design fee and then for the development, it's going to be based on an hourly rate and here's how many hours we estimate. And then of course you have to give the hourly rate, so you have to be careful. And sometimes, especially when it comes to revisions, if you're quoting revisions at an hourly rate, you can quote a much higher hourly rate than what everything else might be based on, right? So yes, you could do a hybrid, you can mix it up. And I'm not saying don't ever tell your client your hourly rate, it's just that that's not your value. You wanna change that mindset. Mm. Any other questions? Well, yes? I have a question online that sort of follows up from what Raina was asking earlier on and what Justin was just touching on, because okay. some people are confused about what is billable and what isn't. Um, and you know, if you're learning a skill to complete a project, is that going to be billable time? That's totally up to you, right? I mean, who pays for your learning curve? That's the question. Um, I have clients who split it, right? Because they may not be learning it if it weren't for that client. Mm -hmm. But it's probably not fair because it's going to take them more time to learn it, so they split the fee, basically. And you don't have to tell the client that, right? But that's an ethical way to, to consider it for yourself. And other people, uh, Costa has uh, asked about this, but are, are confused about how you are quoting for a giant corporation as opposed to if you're working with a very small business or indeed a self-employed person. He prefers all his pricing to be value-based, value but he appreciates that a big corporation is going to approach it completely differently to an individual. Right, and that's why it is specific to each situation. It is based on a conversation, and you might be able to persuade, if you're dressed up, persuade uh, um, a corporation to pay based on value if you can make the argument, right? Because it may be, it may be a lower fee, it may be a higher fee, you don't know. Uh, the other point I want to make about hourly pricing, one of the exceptions, is that when there are clients who you know are going to be problematic and do many, many revisions, or where uh, there's a committee and just lots of time will be taken that you haven't accounted for in your project fee, then you might want to charge parts of it hourly. Maybe that, at that point you do the revisions hourly. But keep that in mind that when there are a lot of unknowns, that may be a, a good reason to do a part of it hourly. Okay, so here is the what would you do if question. What if you've quoted a project fee for a project but the client insists that you quote it hourly? So this is about what would you say, what would you do if you have already quoted in your proposal a project fee, and the client comes back and says, no, no, we must have it hourly. It's not a trick question. Justin, what would you do? I guess just guess, you know, look at that, um, that number and, and kind of guesstimate how many hours it's going to take and then divide, it, mm -hmm. divide that up. Mm -hmm. That's one way. Yeah. Reyna? Yeah, maybe you could... Um do that and then also limit the amount of hours that are included in mm -hmm. that rate mm -hmm. so that if there is scope creep or anything else, they realize they're going to have to pay more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would probably have a certain base and then also for additional services, charge them on an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. So suppose that they need extra hours, then I can put that in the proposal as well. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, based on how much you want this project, 
What else is on your plate? You might say, I'm sorry, I just don't work that way. And you've got all these other fish in the sea. You've got all these other prospects in your pipeline who are willing to pay on a project basis so that you can be profitable. Do we have comments in the chat room? We do, we have quite a few. Um, uh, uh, 318 Media is saying, I'd stress my process. I'd explain why I don't quite, why I explain I don't quote our hourly and why. Mm -hmm. um, Deborah's saying, yes, I would ask why. Um, but Flux Appeal says I would, well, the thing to do here is to contemplate what they're really trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's interesting mm -hmm. too. Um, and people are saying, you know, you need to ask up front what the approval process is, and that way you can, you can adjust. Absolutely. All good ideas, no right answer here. Sometimes tricky, so really needs attention and thought. All right, so wrapping up this lesson for four pricing strategies in the workbook. If it's not clear yet, there is a short article outlining each of these pricing strategies so you can understand what they are. And the question is, and let's just do this quickly uh, with the in-studio audience, which strategy is the best for you of those four? Maybe based on what you've done so far, or maybe based on aspirationally where you're going in the future of the four strategies, time-based, project-based, package-based, or value-based, which one do you think is the best for you, Justin? Um, honestly, I see multiple ones working for me. Okay. Um, you know, like having um, the package base around consulting people, like over Skype, um, helping people with content, mm -hmm. and then I somehow see a hybrid model of the value-based um, and project-based, mm -hmm. so somehow like an, a fee um, upfront um, with um, some sort of, um, uh, I guess, just uh, percentage like based on, on sales. Mm -hmm. So It's always good to have skin in the game, too. Yeah. It helps. Yeah. Uh, definitely a mix for me, too, mm -hmm. depending on what the project is. I um, mostly build by the project. So for most projects right now, it's project-based. I do want to move more towards the value base, so mm -hmm. where it applies and where it works. Mm -hmm. um, and then only use hourly for things like maintenance and, and hourly-based retainers. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. Dane? Yeah, for me, I think the focus now will be more having a value-based base price mm -hmm. and then having a, pa a retainer package. Mm -hmm. This way, I can create predictability on a monthly basis and only serve like small number of clients and do a really good job for them. So based on the value, the base price, and then monthly retainer through the package pricing. Excellent. Excellent. It seems that most people um, like project Pricing, Crown View, Amy, uh, they're all saying Kristen W, but Flux Appeal and, M and Mon London are saying they have a, a, a project uh, or a package price. They, they de depends on what the client actually needs mm -hmm. and, and what the actual scope of work is. Right, and as I said in session one, one of the most important skills and talents and qualities to make this kind of life work is flexibility. And this is one of the ways you need to be flexible in order to know where you're going and what you're going to achieve. And Jeff Great. Large has done that. He said they did do hourly, but they converted to project and creating packages. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I'll just bring a small example, sort okay. of as a word of warning. And in, in, I went very creative with one client last year who had budget problems. Um, I really trusted them. I really wanted to work with them. So I sort of spaced out all the pricing over the year mm -hmm. um, with their estimated launch time for this website and estimated sales at a certain point would pay the full amount. In the meantime, 
there were so many hours included for in the in the retainer basically in the monthly retainer and everything that went over would also be paid at the end of the year and it just got so confusing mm. and it was it was kind of a nightmare yeah. i i don't think i'll ever do that again <laughs> <laughs> excellent thank you for that word of warning good okay right so keep it simple i think that is the point is keep it simple and also the idea of tying the payments to the milestones in the project is tricky because if the project gets delayed, then your cash flow is affected. So I have some solutions for that, which we'll talk about later, but just be careful. In, instead, the alternative is tying the payments to the calendar on a monthly basis. It's almost like a retainer of sorts, but it's based on a project scope. All right, real quick, hey, before you go, if you know anything about me or my work, you know how deeply I believe in the power of creativity. It's so core for a successful, fulfilling life. I mean, that life cannot be built by accident, right? That's only an accumulation of intentions and daily choices and actions and the stories we tell ourselves about what's possible with this one precious life. Well, I want you to know that I wrote a book specifically about this. And if you enjoy the show and you don't yet have the book, I think... Uh, I think you ought to because I think it's an incredible companion to all the work, the 10 years we put into making this show. The book is called Creative Calling. You can get it, of course, at, at Amazon or, or your local bookshop or anywhere books are sold or at creativecalling.com. Uh, but there is a creative process I outline in the book, a series of daily habits. It's very, very actionable. And again, wherever you are on your path, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran, um, if I don't, if that book doesn't add value to your life, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. So if that book doesn't uh, add value to your life, then you can message me personally, and I will, I will get you your 15 bucks back for the hardback edition. Uh, I just want you to know that if if you're new here or you haven't checked out the book, please do, and let me know what you think. All right, thanks again, and we'll see you uh, the next episode.